started. Um, it seems like everyone enjoyed the break. And um, one observation that was made that's a cultural component about um, Christians is that we, when we have breaks and when we get together, we do so over what? Food. So, <laughs> so food is a high priority. But this next section, um, the first portion of this next session, before we um, break for lunch, we just got through eating snacks, but before we break for lunch, is going to be um, biblical responses to conflict. And as Christians, we utilize um, the Bible as our authority and our manual for living. And it doesn't, there is no area of life that has not been addressed in the scriptures. And that's the thing that is so comforting. And that's the thing that is so indicative of us in terms of how we live and how we aspire to live in the future. Now, we don't all live up to what our, our biblical examples are, but we're in progress, aren't we? Because we are in the process of being transformed. And that's the thing that's so encouraging is that regardless of the distance that we've come, uh, in our walk with Christ, there's a distance to go. And that work will continue and see us through unto the day of Christ Jesus. And when conflict arises, one of the things that I learned as a wife in the scripture I held on to is that it is not Raina's work to see Dwayne changed. It's not me at work, it's not my job, and it's not my responsibility. And I was so relieved and I still trust that it is God who is at work within Duane, both to will and to do of his good pleasure in his life. So uh, regardless of where we are on our scale and on our journey, we're all in transformation. And you know what often conflict does? It provides us an opportunity to discover and to, to learn. And that's what they really do. So in looking at this further, is that conflict is an opportunity. And it's neither destructive nor bad. But a lot of people would say that conflict is bad. You know, is it desirable? Most people would say no. Do people volunteer for conflict? Most often not. But do you know something about conflict is that it is neutral. It's neutral. It's how we seize that opportunity and it's how we respond and react to conflict that makes it one way or the other, either positive or negative. And it's going to exist. I remember um, Duane used to say uh, earlier in life, oh, I'll be so glad when we get through this challenge. Because what he was saying is, I'm glad when we get through this challenge because then we won't have any. But is that the case? No. The challenge that we're currently in are serving to prepare us for the next challenge. So sometimes we get stuck because what happens is we don't want to move beyond or move through where we are. Therefore, we can't experience the next step. And one thing about the faithfulness of God is that he'll bring us back around again, won't he? He doesn't want us to miss out the opportunities of learning. He doesn't want us to miss out on the opportunities of discovery. And in his way of doing things, it's a step-by-step -step progression. 
you know, uh, even this, um, we know in the practical sense is that we often must serve with our gifts before we lead with them. And when you serve with your giftings, that's when they really tested and tried. So when we um, are dealing with individuals and conflicts occur, there are opportunities for learning and discovery about self and about others. Even when conflict is caused by sin and causes a great deal of distress, God can use it for our good. And we think of the scriptures in Romans 8, 28, and that's one of the ones that a lot of us have committed to memory. But when you think of things working together for good from a conflict standpoint, then we're willing more to embrace it or to not run from it, but to see conflict as an opportunity and things that God has laid out for us because good is going to come out of it. And that scripture says, and, and we know, we are confident that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. And sometimes we forget that it's his purposes for that individual. For God knew his people, he knew us in advance, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So what God does is he allows conflict to occur and to happen in our lives, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in the body of Christ, whether it's in the work setting, because there is good that's going to come out of it. Because what happens to conflict that's under the rug or that's buried? Does it go away? And if something is usually hidden, what happens to it? It grows and it multiplies. Have you ever seen mold, you know, start off? And in this time of the year when it's damp, you'll see a little tiny white speck. And what will happen is if it's same constant temperature but hidden underneath of something or behind a closed door, it continues to grow and multiply, doesn't it? And typically that is what happens with conflict within us. And we, as we saw earlier in that discussion um, that Dwayne talked about, is that it can start with an unsettledness. And the unsettledness that we feel is a trigger. It's like on your dashboard and what they call, they used to call them idiot lights, but now they call them sensors. The sensors come on as a warning to let you know, attention, attention, service is needed. Attention is needed. And what happens if you don't respond to your power steering fluid light or level when it comes on. You don't hear the noise at first, do you? You don't have trouble turning the car or the vehicle at first. But if you blow right through the warning, what happens is now it's escalated and it's causing further difficulties. And that's the same way with conflict if we ignore it. So instead of ignoring it and running from it, we can embrace it and say, could this be a test? This is an opportunity, and it will work together for our good if we see it in that fashion. And the Apostle Paul, he wrote in 1 Corinthians 10, um, 31 through 11, 1, he says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, 
but I'm seeking the good of many so that they may be saved. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And you know what separates us and makes us distinguished from those in the workplace who don't have a faith or those in the workplace or in the family who are growing in their faith is that we have an opportunity to demonstrate how we can work through conflict in a way that glorifies God. And as it's said in that scriptures, do all things with the attitude of bringing glory to God. And, you know, the scripture says if we do good to those who do good, as those who don't know Christ do good to those that are good, what is that? What is that? That's not proven or demonstrated anything because we're just responding like everybody else. But he says, as Christians, we have the opportunity to do good to those who intend wrong for us or those who have conflict or contention or resentment for us. We have an opportunity to show what God's love and his mercy looks like because then we can come back with a different attitude. And we get it all the time. We get that. We will get that opportunity all the time. Conflict actually provides three significant opportunities by God's grace. We can use opportunity, as I said, to glorify God by trusting, obeying, and imitating him and being respectful in confrontation. And you know, uh, in the workplace, uh, there was a situation that was going on. There was a meeting that was called by the supervisor. And the meeting was called because there was some conflict and contention between two departments. And so the supervisor who called the meeting was um, a command and control type of a person. And it wasn't beyond her to swear and to curse or to slam a door. So you can imagine her reputation preceded her. So if you were called into a meeting with someone like that, and there's two departments that are coming together, she's representing one department. The other department that was being represented, their supervisor wasn't in the room. So there was nothing really to balance this situation out. So as this discussion went on and she started the meeting, she started already in fifth gear laying blame and talking about these other two individuals and what they were doing to her department. And she started swearing. And inside, I was starting to feel the unrest. And I was faced with a decision here. Am I going, and she was my boss, by the way, <laughs> which makes the stakes higher in the game. So I'm faced with a, con, uh, a, um, a choice here. Am I going to somehow say something to bring the rising tension down? Or am I just going to be a bystander and then after the meeting kind of go to the people and apologize for the situation? So the choice was mine as to what I was going to do. And I felt this tension rising and my heart started beating faster. And it's like, Lord, I feel you prompted me to say something here and I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to do that. So I waited for her to take a breath because she was in fifth gear, like I said. She was gone telling these people what they were doing wrong and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And so I, I started off by saying this. My conscience won't allow me to sit here and not say anything. But what I would like to express is, and what I did is, I shared what I thought the situation is. 
Yvonne, it seems like you're extremely annoyed because of what um, Kim and Patty did and what you perceived when she did that, when they did that, what it meant to your staff. And as soon as I started speaking, do you know what happened? The ten, it was like the tension in the room started going like this. It was like you put a pin in a balloon, and instead of it just being an explosion pop, it just started going. And I was looking at the face of the lady, Yvonne, who I'm now, in essence, challenging in front of these other individuals. But do you know what happened? The people in the room who were sitting back because they were, like, being blasted at, their body language changed. And Yvonne started first looking at me with an angry look on her face. And I looked at her, not in like kind, and started looking around the table. And she started looking around the table. And what happened is the whole meeting went in another direction. And I was just glad that I got paged. One of the doctors paged me, and his message was, I want my nurse. And it's like, okay. Thank you, Lord. Now, I don't know if I'm going to have a job when I go back, but at least I answered the page. But you know what happened is that a couple of those individuals in the room thanked me because the meeting went a whole different entire way. When you start to feel tension rising, when you start to feel physiologic things, it could be a sign that action is being needed on your part, that you're being prompted to do something. And it takes faith, doesn't it? Or it takes belief. It takes drawing on the spirit in the presence of God. And that's how we can glorify him in the midst of conflict. Because is he glorified when people are yelling and screaming at each other? And when there's odds going on? No. But what are we called to do? We're called to be peacemakers. So we can actually bring peace in the midst of a situation if we're willing to speak up. We can serve other people during the mixed midst of a conflict by helping to bear their burdens or confronting them in love. And one of my favorite sayings in the midst of conflict is, I seek to understand before seeking to be understood. Because what I found out is that when I'm seeking to understand the other person, sometimes I don't even need to state my case because my case has changed. We may be more in agreement than what I was initially thinking. I'm all fired up and I'm waiting for you to finish what you're going to say so that I can defend myself or come back with a different case. But if I ask questions and really start to seek to understand what it is that you're feeling and what it is you're saying, oftentimes it brings clarity that I didn't have before. Like Dwayne said, you know, not assuming and not presuming because when we do that, we're moving forward where there are no facts. So we're assuming to presume, and we're acting on that. So when we seek to understand versus seeking to be understood, it does make a difference, and it lowers the threshold um, for conflict. And then the third is growing to be like Christ by confessing our sin and turning from attitudes that promote conflict. And oftentimes, there is an opportunity not only for clarity by asking questions, but then when we come to that point of recognition is saying to the other person, you know, I really missed it. Or I really started off on a bad foot when I approached you with this. I was fired up 
because I had been talking to myself and having a conversation about the situation before I approached you. And I'm really sorry I started off on that foot. Can we back up and start the conversation again? And you know, I've actually done that. I've actually gotten up and walked away, took a few steps, and then came back and then sat down and said, can we start again? And what that did is it not only set a timeout, but it redirected us in a whole different direction with a frame of mind. But what happens to us when we start getting fired up on the, insi on the inside and we want to get our point of view across, we want to keep moving forward. And sometimes it means we need to stop and redirect. And, you know, some people say it's taking that time out. Well, you can take a mental time out if you don't want to get up um, and walk away and then come back. You know what we've seen other people do is to throw a red flag. And what does that mean? It's like, whoa, wait a minute here. As a referee, I'm throwing the red flag because time out. We need to take a few minutes, go into our mental selves, and then redirect and start all over again. So we can serve other people, and we can grow to be like Christ uh, through these conflict situations. So these concepts are totally overlooked often in most conflicts because people no, no, um, naturally focus on escaping the situation. How many times do we know that we need to have a conversation and we don't have it because it's uncomfortable? And you know, in the workplace, or even with your children, we sometimes intervene where we shouldn't intervene. Our encouragement to be to have the people sit down and work it out. How many of you know of a situation where two people should have a conversation and they're avoiding it? There's like the 800-pound elephant in the room. And everybody knows that there's conflict or a situation that needs to be discussed but people run from it. So oftentimes, we can be the peacemakers. We can serve other people by creating an opportunity for the conversation to occur. And I've done that in a workplace because I have someone that, I, um, that reports to me, and she has very strong feelings and personalities about things. But she'll be the first one to run when a conflict happens because she doesn't want to talk to the other person about it. So she was having a conflict with, with another person in the office. We work in this uh, suite of offices. And she would avoid, you know, if the person came out of their office, she'd avoid and go another way. She'd change, you know, move her chair so she wouldn't have to look at her. And so I thought, can't let it continue because it was affecting other people. I talked to her about it one-on-one, -on -one, gave her an opportunity to approach the other person, and she didn't. So what I did is I called them into my office, and I said, you know, there seems to be um, some conflict that's going on, and I don't think I'm the only one in the office that's noticed it. And it's a value here for us to not allow that to continue. So what do you think it is? And so they both sat there and kind of looked at each other, and nobody said a word. And I said, well, I'm sure that one of you has an idea about what it is. And the person said what the situation was, and the other person nodded, yeah, that's what it is. So what I said is, I'm going to get up and walk out, and I'm going to let the two, and they were sitting in my office, I'm going to get up and walk out, and I'm going to let the two of you work it out. And I did. I got up, and I walked out, and I shut the door. Well, can you imagine what happened? Here they are with the topic of hand that needed to be discussed, and there's nobody in there to referee, but they're in my office, and they can't leave until they get it done. And so after a while, the door opens, and they came out, and there was a whole different affect. And I asked them, how did you work through it? And they said, first of all, we realized it was a forced opportunity. We were forced to do it because we weren't going to come out of here and face you without having resolved it. And so they did. And so the neat thing of it was is that by experience, they had the opportunity to work it out. And was it mine to take on to make it happen? No. 
I just created an opportunity. So you see how we can create an opportunity, even for mothers, not to run. We did that with our children. How many of you um, read the book, Making Your Children Mind Without Losing Yours, by Dr. Kevin Lehman? Oh, it's a wonderful book. It's, called, it's entitled, Making Your Children Mind Without Losing Yours. It's out of print. We used to buy it by the caseload, and I've given all of them away. But what they say is that when there's conflict between your children and they continue to argue and argue and you can't get them to stop, I mean, isn't that terrible when you're nagging at your kids with your grandkids and you want them to stop arguing and they won't stop doing it? And I love this book because it gave you practical examples about how to resolve conflict between your children. And what it said is, is that when you, your children are having conflict or arguing with each other and you've spoken to them about it and they haven't stopped and you don't want to continue nagging. So what you do is you must take action. So this example I learned in the book, and this is what I did. I was taking them school shopping, and my kids must have been about eight or nine years old. And so they were all excited about going to school shopping because we lived in Reading at the time, and we were going to the VF outlet, and they were all excited about getting their clothes. So I'm in the front seat. The two of them used to, were sitting in the back seat, and they started arguing with each other. And I said, okay, you guys, stop that. And they kept on, and I said, no, I'm serious, guys. Stop the arguing, and they kept on. So I said, if you don't stop the arguing, I'm going to stop the car, and we're going to sit here until the arguing stops and you work it out. And they thought I was bluffing. So they continued off. So you know what I did? I pulled the car over, and I stopped the car, and I turned around, and I said, and we're not moving until you stop, until you work it out. And so I took out a magazine, and I'm reading. It probably would be my iPhone in today's world. I'd take out my iPhone and start looking. But um, so you know what happened? I'm looking in the rearview mirror, though. And so my daughter, who is the one, the middle child, who could be the most contentious, she kind of is like looking over to see what he's doing, you know, because it was a boy and a girl. She's looking over to see what he's doing, and he's looking out the window. He's not paying attention to her. And so I'm looking in the rearview mirror. I'm reading my magazine, turning the pages. About three, five minutes went by, and there was no movement. So I look at her. Well, now she turns her head and looks at him like, well, aren't you going to do something? Because we, 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 we can't keep sitting here because the store is going to close. And so I told them that, you know, I only have to such and such time, and then we're going to head drive, drive back home. So if we turn around and go back home, that's what we're going to do. And you know, the funny thing of it was is that she was the most adamant, but she was the one that started the conversation until they worked it out. Because you know what? They had a common goal. The common goal was we want to go shopping because there's something that we want. And that's one of the most profound ways to resolve a conflict is what is it that we want that makes this conflict seem insignificant. So that's something that we can inquire of ourselves or the other person. What is it that we want? What is our goal that is more significant than the conflict that we have at hand? Because then that can create the motivation, that can create the understanding and the mutual agreement to work through the difficulty at hand. So, Conflict happens. It happens in our church. It happens in amongst tensions. The tensions mount. And what happens when it happens within the body of Christ or when it happens within the family? The whole body suffers because we're all connected. We're all related one to another. When the Apostle Paul urged the Corinthians to live to the glory of God, he was not talking about one hour on Sunday morning. He wanted them, he wanted to show them, um, he wanted to show God honor 
and bring him praise in the day-to-day life, especially in the way that they resolved personal conflicts. In 1 Corinthians, it says, So whether we eat, drink, or whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. And this plea in the scripture follows on what Paul's teaching was to the church at Corinth in response to the various conflicts that they were having. So that is when that admonishment came. And it says that these conflicts included debates about who was going to be the greatest amongst the apostles at times. It was debates about sex and morality, marriage and celibacy. They also talked about the Lord's table, uh, what they were going to eat, lawsuits and spiritual gifts. But what the lesson was in this is that relationships are of higher value than all these other things. Because whatever point it is, it is temporal. Things are temporal. Relationships are eternal. Because what's going to happen when we go to live in eternity with Christ? Are we going to do it in isolation? No. We're going to do it in the midst of others. And those relationships that we've started here are only going to continue there, but be on a deeper level because all things will become known. All things will become transparent. So the relationship is the highest value. So it's better, is it better to be right and isolated or is it preferable to be persevering and with people? And I believe it's persevering and with people. You can glorify God in the midst of conflict by trusting him, obeying him, and imitating him. And um, this Proverbs that we often quote in chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, then says, Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation by trusting in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean or depend upon your own understanding. But seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which paths to take. And that paths to take is how, when, and why we can move through conflict. You know, we, when we talk about him showing us the path that's to take, oftentimes we're thinking about a major life decision or something that's before us that's unclear. But that That road or that path to take also can be in terms of our conversations and how we're moving through conflict. He can show us the how, the why, and the when in order to gain that upper hand. And then John says um, in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Be imitators of Christ, therefore, as dearly beloved children. And that's what Christ was bent on communicating to us is that if we love God, we express our love for him of how we treat and how we honor and how we relate and move to other people. But we often forget that. And that's what it's like if we only allow ourselves to connect with and move in unity with the body of Christ on a Sunday morning, you know, for that one hour period. You know, we're all here, we're facing front, We're raising our hands. We're glorifying God. We're singing songs that are comfortable to us. But how is it are we moving and relating to people during the week where really, where we live and where it really matters? Because Christ says our expression of worship to him is one thing, but how do we express our worship to him as we relate to one another? So how can we please 
and honor the Lord in this situation. As we face conflict, how can we honor and glorify God in the midst of it? And I like this thought before we move on to our next section, which is seek first the kingdom of God. And we know that scripture. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these elemental things of life that he was talking about. The heathens and the Gentiles were so concerned about. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? Where am I going to sleep? What am I going to wear? And God says, those things are so basic. It's the basic minimum requirement to life. But when he encouraged them to seek first the kingdom, do you know what the higher aim was there? Is that that kingdom that he was speaking of is experienced and evidenced by what three things? Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Lord. So that's what the kingdom of God is evidenced by. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Lord. So if we're seeking his kingdom, we're all citizens of his kingdom. And as we live with each other and we push through conflict, it's going to be evidenced by the amount of peace that we have with each other the amount of internal peace that we have within, and it's that joy unspeakable and full of glory. Because Is it possible to have brewing conflict inside and be hilariously joyful? Maybe momentarily, but it's going to come back around because God gives us opportunity to walk through it. The opportunity to resolve that conflict will come again. So my admonition for all of us is to seek first that kingdom of God and let it, let it be evidence, demonstrated in our behaviors by that righteousness, peace, and joy in the Lord. And then we're going to go into now the five styles of conflict. Uh, it's a little quiz for you to take. Uh, we're going to take a few moments to do that. Uh, you can answer the questions uh, on there, statements there, and uh, your selection is going to be rarely... Sometimes, often, or always. And uh, put those numbers in. Uh, there's 15 statements there. And then when you uh, get done with that, uh, then you're going to turn it on the back. And uh, you're going to uh, look at those statements and uh, total the points up uh, based on the statement numbers. So... Uh, Pretty self-explanatory, but if you need uh, some further instructions, uh, please let us know. Still, some still working? Any surprises? <laughs> this uh, quiz. Uh, it used a variety of different names, um, but uh, a lot of it's based on the uh, Thomas Kilman conduct mode instrument and uh, using the same boxes. And there's been some profiles that have actually uh, used different uh, names with it, winning, yielding, those type of things there. So uh, if you've ever taken one of these before, uh, you might have seen it, but this is kind of where it all kind of came from. 
because um, this model organizes five conflict management styles and, uh, and is based on two dimensions, assertiveness and also cooperativeness uh, with the scales uh, on that. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that, talk a little bit about the, the boxes and, and what they mean and kind of give you a, uh, a further understanding uh, of that. Um, first one really uh, is the, uh, the avoiding one. Uh, and avoiding is uh, characterized by behaviors that either ignore or refuse to engage in a conflict. Uh, this is where you just simply avoid issue. Uh, where you, uh, said pushing that dirt underneath the rug, just push the stuff underneath the rug, just, just avoid it. And in this model, when you're doing the avoiding style, it's uh, you aren't helping the other party uh, reach their goals, and you aren't assertively pursuing your own either. So when you avoid it, basically nobody wins because the other person's goals and needs aren't being met, and yours aren't either. Uh, and this, uh, this works well uh, if you're using this style when the issue is trivial uh, or, or when you have no chance of winning. Um. <laughs> and it can also be effective when the issue is very costly um, when that happens. So, But, again, we are not looking at it as being a, a style that you will continually use because Ultimately, if we don't deal with it, we're going to go from down that little ramp scale to the all-out war. So there may be a time when you use this, and uh, for some ther theorists, they say that, uh, you know, this does work in some cases um, when the relationship is short-term or, or the issue is not important or when the uh, uh, issue can escalate into actually a, a more violent type situation. So sometimes it's better to avoid, you know, this situation, um, two people, you see this one spot at the mall, you're scooting down the line pretty quickly to get to it. The other person's coming from the other way to get to it and you win. You get in the spot. The other person didn't like you winning. So they get out of the car with a few opportune words for you. That's a nice time to avoid. Because <laughs> you can't escalate. <laughs> and uh, it could escalate to a point where somebody's actually called 911 uh, for police assistance. Or you know what, it's just not that big of a deal. And really, if you, if you want the spot that bad, you can really have it. I mean, it's nothing to fight over. Or you just go ahead and walk into the mall. And let the person stay out there and just have their own little party by themselves. So that, that would be one of the times that avoidance is a, probably a good choice <laughs> instead of doing that. And... Uh, and it could be also effective when the atmosphere is emotionally charged and you need to create some space. Uh, and sometimes issue resolve itself, but hope is not a strategy. Again, just like I hope it works out. I hope they change their mind. Uh, again, it may be one that you use, but uh, for a long-term strategy, this is not a good one because, as you notice on the scale there, very passive and uncooperative. It's kind of right in that corner down there. Because, again, nobody's winning in that. I'm not winning. You're not winning. 
and we're just kind of keep trying to pile it underneath the, the, uh, the, the, the rug there, it's not going to happen. Some examples of avoidance behaviors include saying that the issue isn't important enough to spend time on, saying that there is enough time to do the topic justice, or it's also what's called gunny sacking. And gunny sacking is basically a metaphor uh, for the unproductive practice of saving grievances until one's limit is reached. That means the sack is full. And re then relating all the stored grievances to another person in one lump sum, emptying the gunny sack. Now, I know nobody's done that here. But there are some people who do this gunny sacking method. You store it all up, and then you let it all out on one shot. Just empty the whole thing of, from last year to last week and all in between. <laughs> uh, that is uh, an avoidance <laughs> behavior. Being overly polite is avoidance. Oh, no, no, it's okay. <laughs> then another one is defining any emotion as discord. And calling for objectivity when discussing differences. You get so emotional when we talk. We can't, we got to look at this thing more objectively. You know, you got to quit the crying, okay? Let's quit the crying. <laughs> Smoothing over discord whenever differences arise so differences are never discussed. That's the okay. It's all right. It'll all work out. No, that's, that's an avoidance uh, tactic as well. Focusing on details to the exclusion of the real issues. Again, it's getting so involved on, was it February or March <laughs> that we missed the real issues? Uh, demanding rationality when emotions arise. Or another one is attacking a person verbally. And some people use that to keep the other person uh, in distance. Because again, if I'm attacking, then you're going to be staying back and you're going to avoid that. Uh, and then we, and avoiding topics when we know there's going to be some conflict. So we just kind of just won't discuss that. We just won't discuss that and keep kind of moving by. Um, and then there's also the joking. Kind of make, ah, kind of make a little joke with it. And well, you know, <laughs> you're just like your mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we don't get to the real conflict of the issues. But again, when we avoid, we disregard our own needs and the other needs. Again, pros are staying out of trouble for the time being, but the cons can lead to unresolved problems and resentment ultimately. And one of that, forget about it. Let's not make a big deal of it when we cannot really forget about it. And if we don't deal with it, it will become a big deal. So again, the more passive side, the more uncooperative side in the realm of avoiding. And then we have the competition side. Competition, assertive, <laughs> you know, but still again, on cooperative, so sort of the win-lose approach. Competition is a style that maximizes reaching one's own goals, getting the problem solved at the cost of the other person's goal or feelings. It doesn't really matter because I got to win. <clears throat> this is, we're just having a good intellectual battle here. Oh, yeah, I like that. Oh, boy. You act very assertive to achieve your goals without seeking to cooperate with the other party. 
and it may be at the expense of the other party. Now, competitive, competitive tactics are not necessarily dysfunctional, but competition can easily slide into a destructive scenario if we're not careful. And there are sometimes when I mean, you get two individuals who really kind of like that style, they can really work things out because there's some competition, but it's a, it's a competition of working on a solution together. We move into a more collaborating uh, a mindset or style, and some of that can happen. But normally, when we see this win-lose style, is that's usually a very domineering person in the conversation who really wants to lose because if I'm wrong, the whole world's messed up. Because <laughs> I am the keeper of the truth. <laughs> truth comes through me. <laughs> so competitive tactics can include concealing one's own goals, concealed one's own interests. Again, we use it in competition, but we're really concealing that we really want to win here. Another tactic can be used as attacking or criticizing the other person verbally, and that's unfortunately one of the styles of a win mindset, is that we will use whatever we need to do to, to win here. Uh, we, we can become uh, positional. Uh, we can be elevating one's own arguments uh, in that competition because, again, it is the winning that is so more important. So we can denigrate or reject the other person's arguments. I mean, that is one of the most stupidest things I ever heard somebody say. You've got to be kidding me if you think that way. So we denigrate the other person's position. Or we threaten or bluff in that mindset. Also, we deny responsibility. Well, it's not my fault that we're here. I mean, if there was a few, if you, if you got your act together, uh, I'm only here because you put me here. And then uh, there are some who can actually pretend or actually become hostile. And uh, that is uh, sometimes we uh, connect that with anger. Uh, when someone can be very angry, um, they can become very dominant and kind of take over. And basically it is under a win-lose scenario, an approach uh, to that. Under competition, win at all costs and at the expense of others. The pros of that is usually fast because <laughs> we're going to be hitting it, get this thing done, taken care of. That's the pros of it. Con, you can offend or hurt others in the process, but who really cares? <laughs> I won. <laughs> and uh, the mind says, we'll do it my way. Uh, we'll do it my way, and uh, let's just get the job done, and let's move on. But again, we're not really getting to the real issue because we haven't included the other person's needs and goals and objectives in that style as well. Then we do the accommodating, which is very, very cooperative, uh, somewhat passive. Uh, this is when you, you cooperate to a high degree, and it, and it may be at your own expense, and it actually works against your old goals and objectives and desired outcomes because 
it's really more accommodating to the other person. And so you're still left with some of your own goals and objectives not being met, but it keeps peace (laughs) because we are accommodating that other person uh, in a way. And accommodation, often you phrase such like, uh, whatever you want is fine with me. Whatever you want is fine with me. But is it? Really? Because if there's still something in the inside there that we haven't dealt with, it will come back again. And we may store it in our gunny sack. <laughs> And the gun exact will be dumped somewhere, sometime, on someone. Which we'll never really deal with the underneath issue. It's just that we just empty our gun exact. So we still accommodate it. And, uh, and if this accommodation is the only style of person to utilize, then they need to learn more skills on how to, again, proceed through this. And... Uh, when we accommodate, we put other needs first. The pros of that is that we can keep the peace. The cons of that, it can still lead to some unresolved problems and resentment. Because, again, if we haven't dealt with the issues on the needs, we can actually become angry about that. And really get upset because here I'm giving in again. And even though you've kept peace, there's still some unresolved issues there. It's accommodating. Then we can do the compromise. And this is a lose-lose scenario where neither party really achieves what they want. But again, it requires a moderate level of assertiveness and a moderate level of cooperation. And... uh, And it may be appropriate for scenarios that we do need some temporary solution or where both sides have equally important goals and we can come together and compromise on those things. But the trap that we could fall into that is that we can fall into compromising as the easy way out. When actually collaborating is really the better way out. And I use, I like to use the word resolving. Because when you collaborate, resolving that is we, we both win when we resolve. We both win when we collaborate equally because both our goals are met that way. Compromising, we all have to give up something to compromise. And that's what you see in unions and, and management. Uh, because everybody has these big wish lists on both sides. And they come together and they don't mesh. And so what ends up happening is that after a variety of meetings, everybody begins to compromise, taking some, off, some things off the table and uh, maybe give here, a little take there. And you get through it all, but still, and if you've seen in some shops, there's still some resentment underneath. Because, man, oh, man, those management, they're always trying to screw us down here. You know, we're working hard and they're making all the money. And then the management's saying, boy, you know, we're just really trying to keep this ship on the, keep this train on the track here. And, and, you know, we're trying to do the best we can for our employees. And, but they don't see that. So it can still create some stuff going on. 
Again, compromise is a give and take resources, and the classic compromise is negotiating to split the difference between two positions. Compromise seeking little wins and little concessions. And again, the pro side of that is helpful if the issue is complex, and sometimes you need to work through that. And some cons are uh, some needs on both sides, again, are not being met. An example of that is that I'll meet you halfway. That's what compromising is about. I'll meet you halfway, give and take. You do this, I do that. Then we have collaboration. And collaboration is when both parties cooperatively work together until a mutually agreed solution is found. This is where you partner or pair up with the other party to achieve both your goals. It's not a win-loss, but a win-win. Kind of change that paradigm to a win-win solution. And this can be effective for complex scenarios where you'll need to find a novel solution. And again, we... When we want to say we want to work this thing together, we want to come out of this thing together, then we're going to sit down and really work at that thing. Because, again, what I want, I want relationship. <laughs> it's not about a win-win for me. It's about a win-win for us. And so when I'm compromising, it's always a give and take. I give a little bit, you give a little. In resolving, it really doesn't matter what I give because the resolution is that we're going to come out together achieving both of our goals because we're going to have a relationship. We're going to learn about each other in a greater way than we've not known before. And it doesn't matter whether I gave 80% or 90% or whether I gave 10% or 5%. It really doesn't matter because the goal is to walk out together in unity. And this can also mean a reframing the challenge to create a bigger space and room for everybody's ideal. I mean, what I was thinking was too small. But unless we have some dialogue and work through that, maybe the, the answer is much bigger than we both imagine, which can accommodate us in that thing. The downside of this is that it requires a high degree of trust. <laughs> And a reaching a consensus that requires a lot of time and effort to get everybody on board and to synthesize all their ideals. Now, for me and Raina, sometimes it took us sitting in our van at 1 o'clock in the morning outside of the house because the kids were sleeping <laughs> to about maybe 4 in the morning because we weren't going to leave the van until we came out of a solution that we both won. Took a lot of effort because I had a six o'clock breakfast meeting. And I'm looking at my watch thinking, I gotta get up. I'm gonna be a mess. Why can't she just stop crying and (laughs) I'm tired, long day. But what do I want? I want relationship. I want to find out why she's emotionally depleted in this issue. I want to hear her heart. I want to talk this thing through because I don't want to keep coming back to the van. (laughs) I'm smart. I learned that. Because you don't deal when you come back to the van again. (laughs) 
it's another long night or whatever. <laughs> so I want to find out what it is. And it's the same way with her for me. Uh, there was an issue that we ran through uh, probably about a, two, a couple of years ago, I think. And uh, making some changes in our lives. And, and uh, I'm thinking we're on board. I think we're in this thing together. The step I was making. And, and I, she's, I'm, I find out she's not there with me. And I thought we had this dialogue for over a year or two, making it. And thought we're on the same page. And, and it, it's, it hit me that she's not here with me. And I just, I was spent. I, I just did. I say, I said, I just better go out and find me a nine to five job. Because I mean, if, if you're not on my, if you're not, if we're not together on this thing, then. Whew. And I was just a devastated. I mean, I went, I went down to my office and, and actually cried. <laughs> Sitting down at my desk. And she comes down, oh, what's up? <laughs> I said, I don't know what's up. <laughs> I thought we were together on this deal, and you tell you you give me your, your, your I'm sensing you're not, and what your questions and your your actions, and and we had great dialogue because she got to hear my heart, and I got to hear hers, and we found out we really were on the same page together. That she was really with me. You were telling yourself the story. I was telling myself a story that she was with me, and I believe that story because it sounded so good. It made me feel so, it made me feel so right. <laughs> but we discover that we do have this thing and we are together and this is our goal and this is our vision for our future together. And with that, we can make it. And yes, maybe she could have been doing a little bit more in that. And she recognized that to say this is ours together. Because everything we've done up to this point has been together. And so it was just a point that we needed that clarity. But again, it took a lot of time, took a lot of energy. And actually, we've been leaving and going somewhere. And so that was being delayed. To have fun. To have fun, actually. We were going to go away for a few days to have this great time together. And we were, and I was feeling crappy at the beginning. Uh, we could have went. I could have smiled my way through it and it'll be fine. And we'll discuss it when we get back from our time together connecting <laughs> but it didn't and uh and i couldn't do that i couldn't go off and have this thing in me the way it was and be phony that's why uh, if you know me long enough I, i'm not a phony person i can't put the airs on i eat, my, my kids know that i mean I, i'm not one i mean if we got to do with issue we got to do with issue they know i'm not one to put it in the carpet so Let's talk about this thing because I'm, I'm not going to be right until we do. If I got an issue with you, I'll wait until you come home. I mean, I've waited sometimes late in the morning. <laughs> Hi. Oh, Dad, you're still up? Yep, I'm up. Because we got something to talk about. <laughs> okay. But we're going to process again because I want a relationship. And so we're going to work this thing through. So we were able to do that. And because we did that, even though it took a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of emotions on both sides, when we went off, we really did have fun <laughs> because there wasn't anything there left. There was nothing that was still left on the table that we had to pick up again while we were gone. Set a good foundation. And it set a good foundation for us to, to do that. So when we collaborate, again, we discuss and problem solve and seek mutually beneficial outcomes together. 
Again, the pros of that, it does create mutual trust. It maintains positive relationships, and it builds commitments. The cons of it, it does take time and energy, and that's why people don't do that. It's much easier to back down to compromising. It's easier to back down to the avoiding <laughs> or the accommodating. And that's why people keep going around circles and coming back with issues because they've never dealt with the core stuff that's underneath the surface there. An example of collaborating is I like, I like to do this. I like to do, the, I like to do it this way. What would you like? Let's see how we can find a way for both of us to get what we want. So uh, if we use a competing style, we may force the others to accept the R solution, but this acceptance may be accompanied by fear and resentment. If we accommodate, the relationship may proceed smoothly. We may build up frustrations that our needs are going unmet. And if we compromise, we may feel okay about the outcome, but still harbor resentments in the future. If we collaborate, we may not gain a better solution than a compromise might have yielded, but we are more likely to feel better about our choices for future understanding and goodwill. And if we avoid discussing the conflict at all, both parties may remain clueless about the real underlying issues and concerns only be dealing with them in the future. No, we covered a lot, but I'm just got a little summary page here of uh, of that uh, uh, those styles. Just pass that way. Just stay up here. Just pass it that. I will um, bless the food, and then I also have. We want to ask you to do something over lunch as you're sitting in your table. The assignment is is to identify and discuss at your table one or two things that you've learned this morning that you can apply, okay? One or two things that you've learned or heard this morning that you can apply, all right? Okay, let's bless the food. Father, we thank you so much for the food that you've provided for the nourishment and the sustenance and the maintaining of our bodies. Thank you, Lord. Let it nourish the, the food, nourish our bodies. Make it fit for our use. We thank you for that. Bless the individuals that provided it. Uh, we thank you, Lord. You are our great shepherd. You provide all that we need, even the food and the basics. So we thank you for that. Lord, bless the conversation at our table. Just really allow us um, to be thoughtful and challenged by what we've heard, that it's not only good hearing and good information, but good application as how you're at work in our lives and within our relationships. And with that, we praise you and we give you thanks. Amen.